The herd never stood a chance. The hunters had scouted the area the day before, the guides they had employed tracking the herd's spore and bringing the men with the guns into position so that they could strike at first light. They had done this before, many times. They numbered over thirty, men from every corner of the globe. Syrians, Copts, Turks, Russians, Americans and Franks, robbers and villains, crooks, swindlers and murderers, penniless adventurers and tuppenny cutthroats. All drawn to the lucrative trade that could make a man a year's pay for just a few short months' work. They flocked to Khartoum like flies to a dung heap, the town at the heart of the East African ivory trade a hive of activity once the hunting season started in late December. There they were recruited into the hunting parties that would head south, following the White Nile, then turning inland. They did not come alone. Other parties left Khartoum in the first months of the new year. These men were journeying further south and west than those hunting for ivory. Their prey not the enormous beasts that roamed the hinterland near the Nile, but the young men, women and children who could be sold into the slave trade that was thriving in East Africa now that the Atlantic traffic had been curtailed. Both were lucrative businesses, the dealings in ivory and the commerce in human flesh drawing men from all over the globe every one of them enticed by the easy lucre that could be garnered from ravaging the vast tracts of land far to the south of civilization. These hinterlands were not ruled by the principles of law and government, but by the old rules, set by any man strong enough to control the territory that would yield the commodities the world demanded. These were the places where the power of the gun outweighed the power of law, the domain of men who cared nothing for the destruction that they wrought on the people and animals that called the wilderness home. Leading the hunters was the Frenchman. He was the man who had borrowed the money to put the hunting party together, a loan that was to be repaid in ivory at 50% of its market value, the men with the means to finance such an expedition able to charge a premium as they had no shortage of willing borrowers. Even with such an exorbitant rate of interest, the Frenchman still expected to make a small fortune. Demand for ivory had never been stronger. Whether it be for the fashionable clubs of the major cities of Europe, where it was used to produce the billiard balls and the piano keys that would entertain the gentlemen able to afford entry into the most salubrious of establishments, or for the handles of the fans wafted so decorously by the women those same men left at home, Ivory was worth its weight in gold, and worth the trouble and the cost of journeying far into the badlands where only the strongest would thrive. The Frenchman led the men onto the rising ground the local tribesmen he had employed as their guides had chosen, just as the first rays of the morning sunlight were pushing away the greys and browns of night filling the forest glade with shadows and warming the sky with a beguiling cocktail of colour that belied the carnage to come. 